on 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 239 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and I am currently recording on a traitorous tin-plated fugitive from a junkyard. Nice. Oh, the pain, William. <laughs> That's the worst couch gag I've ever heard. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the pain. Danger, old... Pat Whaley. Danger. <laughs> These old bones can't take it. <laughs> I read some great trivia about how um, that actor voiced somebody in um, the, his last ever role. He voiced somebody. Oh, it's... No, 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 no. Hi. Okay, if you haven't picked up from that, uh, this week's show. How could you not? All right, it's about Lost in Space. Oh, I thought we were doing Spring. Goodbye. Oh. Lost in Space in 1965, three season hit show. There was a question. Yeah, it was. It was a hit show. It was big. It really was. Um, but we're gonna get into that. And we comparing it to the new Netflix Lost in Space that just premiered like. Two weeks ago. So we're current in <laughs> As we've always been. Yes. That's what we are where we are known for being current and up to date. For if you like being current and up to date, perhaps you'd like to check out the new shows on the Podcast Collective, such as The Coffin Joe Cast, Dating Baggage, Mint in Boxcast, Tales from the Hard Side, and of course the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Hey, I didn't get a ring rear out of that guy. There. I'm watching you. That whammy bar. Yeah, if you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blu-ray, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and all the other podverse.fm places on the internet, you can probably find us. And also at 40go14.com. And if you're looking for us on Saturdays, 12 noon on Saturdays at Geek Life Radio. Put it on, listen to us while you... Um, parasail. Oh, yes, yes parasail, where you parasail in your living room. That's tricky. It is. And uh, 708 now wrap. That's 708-669-9727. Yes, we don't actually have any voicemails this week on that voicemail line. But we did get a uh, message on Facebook that we forgot to talk about last week. Yes, that was a summons. We don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Uh, Listener Karen uh, showed that that she found copies of... A uh, 1,000 kilometros and the original Parker Brothers Millborn. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I couldn't find my copy of Millborn to take a picture of, so I don't know where it is. It's in a box somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, I I think mine was a really modern one, and I think I lost it years ago. I know I have it. It's just a matter of where it is. It's kind of like my basement. You don't know where it is? No, <laughs> everything exists in here at one point or another. I've got Schrodinger's basement. Oh, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Everything is down here as long as I don't look for it. <laughs> if I come down and try to look for it, I won't find it. It doesn't. It stops existing. But if I come down here with absolutely no intent of looking for something, I will find something that I've been looking for for years. So I'm in your basement. That's because you're tied to the chair. <laughs> oh, wow, that was weird. Um, <laughs> I think it's about that time. Oh my god, is it about that time? This week in music. Movies and TV. I think, I think we need a new theme. It's, like, it's this weekend. It's this weekend. It's this weekend. It's this weekend. And oh boy, oh boy, it's this weekend. And sports. <laughs> you better be careful what you wish for, man. You remember, Josh? 
I repeat, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Yeah, that's exactly what we thought. Music. <laughs> so, no, not yet. No, we got uh, this weekend is September. I'll shut up. Yes. September 15th, 1965, the opening, the premiere of Lost in Space. There you this go. That's why I don't help. So music, the Beatles album Help reached number one this week, where it stayed for nine weeks. The second single from the album, Yesterday, was released this week, while the first single, Help, was already number one in the land. It's a great album. It's yes. great. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a great thing to say if you're in danger, eh. Will Robinson. That's going to be the thing this week. <laughs> oh, boy. Looking forward to that, you irresponsible wine bibber. <laughs> not even sure what that means. Okay, uh, Richard Melville Hall, born September 11th, is an American musician, DJ, record producer, singer, songwriter, photographer, and animal rights activist who is better known by his stage name, Moby. He has sold over 20 million records worldwide, and he first gained attention in the early 1990s with his electronic dance music work. With his fifth studio album, Play, he gained international success. Originally released in mid-1999, the album sold 6,000 copies in its first week, and it re-entered the charts in early 2000 and became an unexpected hit, producing eight singles and selling over 10 million copies worldwide. Moby has co- also co-written, produced, and remixed music for David Bowie, Daft Punk, Mylene Farmer, uh, Brian Eno, Pet Shop Boys, Britney Spears, New Order, Public Enemy, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, Soundgarden, and others. Incidentally, that album, fun fact, 18 tracks, all 18 tracks have been used in at least one film. Yeah. Really? <clears throat> yep. Every single one of the tracks in that album has been licensed off. Wow, Every that is a fun one. fact. Yeah. Yep. That and this is the... I have not thought of Brian Eno in probably at least a decade. So. And it's a great album. It is. Yep. Huh. Porcelain on there is my favorite... One of my favorite songs of all time. Actually. I don't I don't think I've ever heard the whole album. What? At once, I mean, you know. Well, you can't hear it at once. You wouldn't know what was going on. <laughs> Pat's like, this is just cacophony. <laughs> uh, on September 16th, jazz musician and composer Duke Ellington performed his first concert of sacred music, realizing a dream of creating religiously themed music, invoking God and propagating faith. The premiere took place at the Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. Ah, oh, nice. He's an, he is one of the one of the musicians that I wish I was even able to have seen live at one point or another. I like Duke Ellington. I do too. Me also. There's not uh, a lot to hate. So. True. Right. Moving on to movies. The top film in the land was Dr. Zhivago. Ooh. I've never seen it. Oh, good movie. And then, and then you turn it around and you see that that's the same guy who was in uh, Top Secret that get crushed in the car. Do you remember that? No. Top Secret? No, I remember Top Secret. I don't remember somebody getting crushed in a car in it. Yeah. Remember, he, he's, he's uh, talking to the blind guy who's selling the, the, the exploding cigar and... Then he gets crushed in the car, and he comes in, and he's like, he's in a big old cube with the windshield wipers going over his face. Uh, I was thinking, like, death. Okay, I got no, you. No, no. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the only one that dies in that movie is the guy who takes on the uh, anal intruder. Well, the guy that gets pushed over the wall and breaks into a million pieces. Uh, Theoretically. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was dead. All right. Kyle Chandler was born on September 17th in Buffalo, New York. He was an American fil- film and TV actor who was known for many roles. We already covered him in another tweet, so I didn't feel like typing out anything. <laughs> Fair enough. Also born September 17th was Brian Singer, movie director and producer. And he just had way too much. I was like, fuck it. it was a, that, was, that was the last fact I added in the whole tweet, and I was like, I just don't want to do it. I mean, he's best known for the X-Men films. Yeah, well, yeah, he's, he's, done, yeah. he's done big and little productions. He, he's done 
indie art house all the way up to you know yep. multi-billion dollar blockbusters. Known for diddling kids too. What? I haven't heard that. I've never heard that. What? Okay. Roman okay. okay, I'll start up TV as you. Uh, he, well, he's not a full-on Polanski, but <laughs> you just <laughs> on a scale from on a scale from uh, Casey Anthony to Jerry Sandusky, how much did he like kids? <laughs> he's not gone full Polanski. TV. <laughs> <laughs> the top shows in the land, 1965, were Bonanza, The Lucy Show, and The Red Skelton Show. I like Red Skelton. One of the very first uh, ultra-popular comedians to, to work completely clean. Like, never cursed in any of his shows. Wow. Yeah. I could see that, though. That was oh. one of his uh, points of pride in his career. Yeah. That and hamming it up in uh, Pete's Dragon. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. curse, but you can play an alcoholic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You guys got any more scenery I can chew? Um, <laughs> in a week of classic debuts, also making their American premiere this week, were F Troop, Please Don't Eat the Daisies, Green Acres, I Spy, The Big Valley, Wild Wild West, Hogan's Heroes, I Dream of Genie, Get Smart, The Smother Brothers Show, and the poorly received and quickly canceled acronym of the week, which is MMTC. That's, of course, uh, Mark McGrath takes cock. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was... Every morning. Oh. <laughs> was very edgy for 1965. Yeah, yeah he hadn't even been born yet. Hanging from the corner. That's crazy. Oh, does anybody have an actual guess for that one? Just curious. Oh, I know what it is. It's my oh, mother's a car. Yep. 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 Shut the door. <laughs> Don't, worry. Okay. Don't touch my cock. <laughs> All right, born September 21st, Cheryl Ruth Hines is an American actress who played the role of Larry David's wife on Curb Your Enthusiasm, for which she was nominated for two Emmy Awards. Before getting her break in Hollywood, Hines worked as a waitress, tele- television reporter, and telephone operator, as well as personal assistant to Rob Reiner. She is also a poker enthusiast with career winnings totaling $50,000. In 2014, Hines married Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a member of the Kennedy family. Junior. Yep, and uh, all finally, Roastmaster General Jeffrey Ross was born September 13th. All right. Yeah. All right. Love Jeff Ross. Wait a minute. Nobody's died yet. Nope, not yet. Nope. There's no death in this one. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, everybody that died was not worth talking about. Their mother thought so. Well, yeah, but, you know, she's not on this podcast. She's, and she's just a car. She might. <laughs> Moving on to sports. Sports. On September 11th, college football was played in a dome stadium for the first time as the University of Tulsa Golden Hurricane beat the University of Houston Cougars 14-0 at the Astrodome before a smaller-than-expected crowd of 37,138. A reporter at the time praised the controlled 72-inch temperature in a city where it was 97 degrees outside, but also noted that the field was almost devoid of grass and the game was played on a hard ground painted green. Ooh. This was before AstroTurf had been uh, perfected, obviously. We ain't got no grass. What are we going to do? Hey, what do you want to do with all this paint? <laughs> Vernon Maxwell, starting shooting guard for the two-time champion Houston Rockets, was born September 12th. Hmm. I don't expect you guys to have a whole lot of Vernon Maxwell uh, stories here. So we'll Honestly, that. if I hadn't roomed with you, I wouldn't know who the hell he was. <laughs> Paul Heyman, born September 11th, is a professional wrestling producer writer, performer, marketer, promoter, manager, and commentator. He has shunned the label of manager for decades, using the name The Advocate for his work with Brock Lesnar. Heyman owned and was the creative force behind the ECW, 
promotion from 1993 until its closure in 2001. Before running and owning ECW, he was a manager under the ring name Paul E. Dangerously in the WCW and other promotions. In the WWE, Heyman has managed a record five WWE champions, Brock Lesnar, Big Show, Kurt Angle, Rob Van Dam, and CM Punk. Even, hey, his, <laughs> even his critics have praised his abilities at managing and on the microphone. Hey, man. Nice shot. And he looks like uh, a fat Jim Belushi. That's Jim Belushi something. looks like a fat Jim Belushi. Exactly. <laughs> and then finally, on September 13th, Willie Mays of the San Francisco Giants hit his 500th home run, becoming only the fifth MLB player to do so and the first African-American to enter the 500 club. He accomplished the feat against pitcher Don Nodelbart in a 5-1 win over the host Houston Astros and finished the season with 52 homers and a second most valuable player award from the National League. Mays had 660 home runs at the close of his career in 1970. Hmm. And see, you guys always talk about how I never put anything bad about Houston sports. There's two bad things. I've never said that. I don't think I've ever said that. No, it's mainly Josh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mostly tune out during sports unless I can give you shit. <laughs> <laughs> He, he like only weeks ago, someone, you know, Josh did mention that I, you know, I never mentioned, you know. Yeah, he usually good. highlights Houston's achievements in sports. <laughs> Not their disappointments. Houston. And that's the tweet. Yeah. Take us out, keyboard, Joel. Na, 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 na. <clears throat> All right. So this is Lost in Space, 1965, set in the far flung future of 1997. I love that. Yeah. Far too little flannel in this show for it being set in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of that uh, Harvey Birdman where the Jetsons show up. And he's like, we come from the future of 2002. And they look. he looks at the calendar and it's like 2004. <laughs> I miss that show. Uh, but this is the show we're I've talking about. I've never seen it. But oh, that's a, Harvey that's Birdman? Seen. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so came out October, 6th, uh, over s- October 16th, 1997, 32 years in the future. Um, the United States is launching... The Jupiter 2, which is called Gemini 12, in the unaired, for some reason or another, pilot episode, uh, to go into a 98-year trip to Alpha Centauri, where we will try to build a new civilization for the overcrowded Earth. Uh, For myself, that creates a lot of issues. Because here's my thing. A lot of stuff happens on Earth in 98 years. How much would it suck... To be like, oh, we're going to go to Alpha Centauri, and it'll take 98 years. We're going to get frozen in these tubes. They shoot you off to Alpha Centauri, and in the meantime, they discover faster than light travel. So then you spend. Right, and you wake up. You wake up on a planet in Alpha Centauri, and it's already colonized. Right, and they're like, "Hey, we were waiting for you, man." <laughs> you know, you couldn't stop to pick us up. It'd be like it'd, it'd be like uh, the pioneers in the West. Get, finally getting to California and finding resorts and casinos. And <laughs> I mean, that'd be pretty sweet. You get up, there's a Starbucks already there. <laughs> like, oh, I don't have to do any of the colonization shit. Awesome. None of the work. Yeah. But I'm a hero for doing nothing but sleeping for 98 years. Okay, you know, in retrospect. <laughs> My ideal job. Yeah. <laughs> right? So uh, one of the things about the, uh, the the series pilot, it was actually posted almost like a news report, which is kind of strange, kind of oh, cool. I didn't, I didn't watch the pilot itself. Oh, I started Lucky with episode. Man. <laughs> I started with episode one. Mm, yeah, zero. I watched the pilot and a few episodes in. Um, the original concept uh, in the pilot, "No Place to Hide," did not, which was not aired until 1997, centered on Robinson family, uh, Doctor Zachary Smith, and Robot B9, uh, 
they did not show up until after the pilot, after they decided they needed some sort of foil in the uh, in the show, and they in- introduced Dr. Zachary Smith. Yeah, they decided that a monkey wearing a teddy bear hat was not enough to carry the series. God. <laughs> Wait, the monkey was the that happened. Yeah, the monkey with the fur hat. Yeah. Yeah, and then the diaper. And there's so many questions I have about that, too. So... Yeah, I mean, and the funny, the funniest thing to me about uh, when I saw them, you know, pick up Deborah or Debbie or whatever the monkey's Debbie. name is. Yeah, I mean, technically, what they just did uh, was was an alien abduction. Think about that. They landed on, they, they were aliens that landed on a planet, found something, grabbed it, and took it with them. That's an alien abduction. Yeah. Did they stick in anything in the monkey's butt? Well, I mean, you know, you do oh, get bored in space after a while. I'm sure at some point. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, so I mean, was, was the monkey seventeen in monkey years? All right then. They, yeah, they named the monkey Debbie. And here's okay, going back to this monkey before we get on to bubble-headed booby and other type of things. <laughs> First off, they named the monkey Debbie, which I have issue with. It just does not seem like a proper name for a monkey. Second of I all, like, I like giving like bland human names to animals. That's, I think that's funny. Like okay. Patrick, like Lucy, for instance. I, I have a, I have a I have a Lucy, a Ricky, an Ethel, and a Leon. Right now, <laughs> no Fred, huh? Not oh, uh, Fred is going to be my bearded dragon when I finally get him. Oh, so but right now the ghost in the house is we name him Fred. Fred the ghost. Yeah, huh. we have a ghost. That's a whole other thing. All right, yeah, I'm not going down that <laughs> lane. My question is: Are you telling me they're on a flight to Alpha Centauri, and this kid brings a little dress just in case they come across a monkey? Where did they get the dress from? Why, if they and if they brought the dress, why? Okay, well, full confession time. I always pack a monkey dress just in case. Yes, but dude, me too. You never know. I I would hate to be caught with a with a monkey or a chimpanzee and not have clothing for them. So they also had a little rocking chair for him in the in that giant glass car. <laughs> I never saw one of those episodes. I didn't oh, see that was in the pilot ah. when they actually actually were on a so they're actually on a planet. And when they get there, they naturally do what people do and break out the washing machine and close baskets. And It was oh. strange. Yeah. And Penny was strangely infantile in the pilot, like way more than Will. Like in her behavior, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Like playing with the monkey is like, Daddy, you'll be home soon. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. I wanted to watch that. I wish I would have now. Somebody yeah. was in that a little in the tube a little too long. <laughs> I don't they're think she's done. Like, they're only in there eight hours. <laughs> she's not done cooking. Put her back in. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, and, and we'll, we'll get to the rest of the episode in a little bit. But in the meantime, Lost in Space is remembered for such oft-repeated lines as "Warning, Danger, Will Robinson, Danger," which, for some trivia, Danger Will Robinson was only spoken once in yep. all three seasons. So. And uh, in the new uh, series is the first and only things he said for the two episodes I've watched. Yep. Yes, it's also the name of the season finale, which I haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, I knew I've, that was the name of the episode. Yeah, that's I, I've seen all ten episodes. So one of the one of the other things that was really great about this show was Doctor Smith's uh, put downs to the robot, uh, which were often uh, totally ad libbed. Um, you bubble-headed booby, cackling cacophony, tin-plated traitor, blithering blatherskite, and also his trademark lines of, oh, the pain, the pain. So, which 
Joel was talking about early, which Jonathan Harris's uh, one of his last roles is providing the voice of the illusionist praying mantis Manny in A Bug's Life, where he used the phrase "Oh, the pain, the pain" near the end of the film. So yeah, and one of the reasons behind his performance is that they had intended to have Jonathan Harris a short run character. He was supposed to be only in like the first third of the first season, and then they were going to move on, find another antagonist. But he was so overwhelming, like. His personality was so big that uh, the showrunners really got into it. And he, he he knew, like, as long as I make my performance flamboyant and keep coming up with these catchphrases, they'll never fire me. Right. Similar what? to the uh, the Jesse Pinkman on Breaking Bad. He was only supposed to be, like, for the first half of the first season, and everybody, they all fell in love with him. Yep. Or, uh, oh, I'm blanking. Uh, Parks and Rec. Chris Pratt? Chris Pratt, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, he was supposed one. to be just a first-season-only character. Yeah. yeah. Once, once Ann and him broke up, he was supposed to be gone. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. forgot about that. And when they, um, they introduced... a lot, yeah. Yeah, they introduced the character. Well, And jo- Joel and yes. Pat, did you watch... I know Pat didn't watch the actual pilot, but I know Josh and I did. And I Joel wanted did. to, but I did not get a chance to, to see it. Okay. Josh, I have a question for you. Yep. They've got the, the car that they're escaping the Ice Age from going further south. They get to the crossover, these giant burlap sack. Apparently, oh, what are those things? Things with one eyes. What are they called? Cyclops. Cyclops. Yeah, the Cyclops are made out of burlap in this world. And these pistols, which I don't know why they ever leave without these things, the, the Cyclopses are easily six, seven stories tall. They're huge. One shot from the pistol takes them down. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they were trying to channel like an Odysseus kind of thing going on because it felt very much like the Odyssey in space for a little bit. Mm -hmm. They even had a sea encounter with a storm. And I have contention with that also. (laughs) It's so Don West goes up on top of the glass car to fix the solar panel in the storm because it broke loose and now the batteries aren't charging or whatever. And he goes up on the top of the car and gets blown off. And you see him grab onto the side of the car and hold onto it. And they're all inside the car screaming and crying that Don West, oh, he's gone, he's gone. And then they cut to him hanging onto the side of the car. This car is literally a glass dome. There are no non-transparent portions of this car whatsoever why did not one of them see him hanging off the side of the car (laughs) that's a good question the pilot uh yeah the pilot was a thing yeah apparently the pilot had many problems that they it it was really boring was one of the biggest problems it it was it and yet it got picked up well it got picked up because they added dr Dr. smith smith and when dr smith in in the pilot that you guys saw compared to the acting in the in the in the non-aired pilot, Doctor Smith was a tour de force. Um, he was he he really I mean carried it on that one. And I think if it wasn't for him, that show would not have gotten at, as far at all. Well, let, let's let's be honest. The the Robinson family is not exactly uh, hyper interesting. Mm, right. They're they're, they're, a, they're a smart, fascinating family, but they're not crazy. I wouldn't go that far. On and paper, then, they're super smart. Yeah. On the new, in the new show, yes. In that show, it was three helpless women who you've got two overly male <clears throat> guys and a kid that's getting in trouble all the time. Well, for some reason, after the first episode, they just completely abandoned the fact that you know that that um, Mrs. Robinson is a doctor. 
You're just like, oh, no, she's just going to be a housewife. Yeah, she's a doctor, and Penny's supposed to have an IQ of 146, and uh, Will was supposed to be the youngest person to ever graduate space college. Right. And then they kind of mm-hmm. just decided to make all the women just, you know. Like, I love the one thing where they send off uh, Don West and, and uh, John Robinson somewhere, and Will's like, how come I don't get to go? And they're like, well, we do need a man here while they're gone. Like, I was like, yeah. man, this is the 60s. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it was picked up mostly on the strength of the fact that Space Family Robinson was already a popular comic book. And I think the pilot was proof of concept that, like, we can do this on TV and people will watch it. Well, and that was part of it. It was a comic. And then the Space Family Robinson, they actually went, it was Gold Key Comics that had it. Yeah. And the producers went to Gold Key Comics and because they, they wanted to use the whole concept and didn't want to get sued. So then they actually put swiss family robinson lost in space onto the onto that comic so that way they got a little kickback from that also but i think the reason why it felt so much like the odysseus type thing uh erwin allen he did the show voyage to the bottom of the sea and did the movie the towering inferno so that kind of adventure type film was completely in his wheelhouse so that was why it had that feel to it but before we get too much into it, let's go over the, the cast real quick. Okay, yeah, so, sure. Guy Williams as Professor John Robinson. Uh, I don't know where you can remember him from outside of this. The dad from he was a he was a 1950s 60s uh, movie star, but he, this is exactly what he's known for. June Lockhart as Maureen Robinson. The, I mean, yeah, she went on to be TV mom like over and over again. Oh yeah, that, she was Lassie's mom first. Yes, oh, Perry Mason, all sorts of. Mm-hmm. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, uh, she was she was a staple of television from the fifties to the, like the seventies for two decades, really. Right. Good on her. Yep. When you start from this. Well, and then Florence Henderson took over. True. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Mark Goddard. Uh, he is the Major Don West and is still on the on the circuit. <laughs> He's out signing uh, signing autographs. Uh, he was also in the TV show Johnny Ringo, and um, he was. Was he one of the Von Trapps? No, that was Angela Cartwright. Oh, okay. That's that right. was her big... She was kind of their anchor. Okay. That girl from the movie. Uh, but yeah, so Westerns, adventure type stuff. Whoop. Uh, Marta Kristen as Judy Robinson. Yeah, she was mostly known for this in Beach Blanket Bingo. She's a Nordic actress. I, I think she was born in Finland. Uh, Norway. Hmm. Norway, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she first appeared in Alfred Hitchcock Presents uh, alongside, uh, alongside Billy Mummy. So her first, uh, mm. you know, not much past that. And uh, Billy Mummy? Mummy or Mummy? Mummy is Mumi. the way I've always heard it pronounced, but it okay. could be Mummy. I'm not an expert on it at all. so I don't know enough. He's, he is still out there in the, uh, in the circuit at every Comic-Con that'll have him. Uh, well, as- I mean, after this and Babylon 5, like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's gonna be in high demand. It's awesome on B five as Will Robinson, Angela Cartwright as Penny Robinson, Jonathan Harris as Doctor Zachary Smith, um, who's just fantastic as villain. He's he's he plays a great like sniveling, yeah, sniveling villain. Yeah, yeah, he's incompetent, lazy, uh, bumbling, egotistical, egotistical. and yeah. selfish. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And he all the qualities you're looking for in a in a space traveling teammate, right? Well, but he was not part of the team initially. But he was a space traveler with them. Yeah. Yes. 
Ultimately. And then not credited Dick Twofield as the <laughs> robot. <laughs> Sorry. You are I'm a child. I know. I love it. And Rob that's, May. That's, that's a new kind of organic food. Like farm farm to table, then there's Dick to field. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll accept that. We'll go with that. All right. So, um, and Bob May is a robot. Dick to field and Bob May uh, as the voice and the guy in the suit. Yeah. Bob was in the suit and Dick was the voice. He was also. Awesome. An impractical robot. Yeah. Right? There was nothing made for any kind of terrain. Uh, with that, that like, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, robot was not practical. And I love how in the was it third episode <clears throat> where they wrote in the thing about him checking on Doctor Smith every hour on the hour so that they could get out of him actually going to help the yeah. dad when he's trapped down in the pit. Yep. Like, but I mean, that really does make sense for that for the character of Doctor Smith to put in a self fail safe like that. Right. It just was funny because he's like, yeah, he, "Robot, go do that." Nope, I gotta go. Bye. Perfect timing. But did you guys notice, by the way, um, in the beginning of the of the first episode, um, his left clamps were completely different, and then suddenly, in the you know, about a third of the way through the episode, it went to the you know, they were both circular. At first, it was two like L shapes that pointed away from each other. It's okay. In the third season, they they had a space pod that showed up in the ship that they would use to travel from the ship down to the the surface of the planets. Oh yeah, so no more forty thousand foot free falls from the ship right. through the atmosphere to fall on the ground and be perfectly fine. Yeah. So they people can survive a nine story fall, but this guy is like falling from the, hey. from, from literal space. He had wrist, wrist rockets. Yeah. yeah. What do they call those stupid things? The parajets. Cause there's two of them. <laughs> Dick Field. I don't even know what to say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the, they actually added that ship in the third, third season. Yeah, third season went, and it was just one of, another one of those things they added, and nobody acknowledged that it had not been there for two years. Like, we'll just use this. Yeah. So, but yeah, who knows? I mean, a lot of the a lot of the stage and a lot of the aliens and that sort of thing in this show were, in some cases, they were literally another part of the scenery turned upside down and spray painted. Literally. Yeah. No, not joking. That was some. There's uh, there's things in this that were used all, multiple times in different scenes. Just you know, take that. Turn it over, spray painted gold. Now it's a spaceship. So, but uh, June Lockhart had the biggest parking space in the 20th Century Fox parking lot because she would also drive her favorite vehicle to work, which was a 1913 fire truck. What? That's awesome. I'm starting to like this woman more and more. Awesome, it is actually. Yeah, it's it's Weird. pretty. It's a heck of a heck of a vehicle too. So, can you imagine driving out down the street and you like come across a fire? People are like, come help. And like, oh, no, this isn't a real fire truck. What? <laughs> Why would you even have that? <laughs> uh, so yeah. guy is pulling up in a hearse. <laughs> so Erwin Allen pitched his idea to CBS programmer James Aubrey, who immediately snapped up the idea. And a couple weeks later, a gentleman named Gene Roddenberry pitched his idea to Star Trek to Aubrey, who said, now I think Lost in Space has more commercial gain for us. Funny enough, the the set for Lost in Space was like the most expensive set on television at the time. It was even more expensive than the Star Trek set. Well, as it really, yeah, yep. Well, and wow. as much as you want to dog on Aubrey in this in this trivia for saying saying that, because you know Star Trek is huge for the time, Star Trek was a commercial failure. Yeah, nobody nobody liked Star Trek when it first aired. Yeah, it wasn't until the reruns came out that people started really digging it. But in the basically, meantime, yeah, basically it was it was like Firefly, like had a very small group of really devoted fans, and most of the world was like, meh. Yeah, but uh, 
Yeah, but in the meantime, he was right because Lost in Space was a huge commercial hit for CBS. Well, and you know what I kind of found, it kind of I didn't expect is the shots where they were in space and they were actually floating. And I was trying to figure out how they did some of that stuff. Turn the camera around. Just keep. Or in some cases, just have Billy Mummy stand there really still, pretend he's floating, and lower the camera slowly. <laughs> well, there were some times. Attach, attach a tiny fishing wire to the ponytails and just lift them up. Whoa, no gravity. <laughs> yeah. It was it was kind of impressive, some of the stuff they did. But then there was other moments, like where he's trying to climb up the side of the ship to fix the little radio antenna, and he keeps sliding off. and, and For it, no reason, yeah. The harness that they used was this one piece of rope that had a, a little thing on it to hook to the side of the ship. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, and it's a good thing that they brought the old rope, too, so it, you know, it would fray and break the first <laughs> right. time you ever used it. <laughs> what, How many, $30 billion, and they can't get one good rope? <laughs> one of the, here's another trivia. Actually, you know how expensive rope is, man. Whew. I didn't put in there, but I should have now that we're talking about this. Uh, NASA actually came to them and was like, hey, you're doing a show about space exploration. We totally want in on this. We we're, we're want to go to the moon, and we're going to do this, that, and the other. And they watched the show, and then they were like, you know, we're good. <laughs> we don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> yeah, NASA was like, there's absolutely nothing even resembling science in this show whatsoever. We want nothing to do with it. So they, But we will take the monkey with the hat. Yeah. Yeah. We're out of here. Grab the monkey. Don't want the Irish. <laughs> so uh, the, as we have been saying, there were actually two pilots filmed for the show. The original Lost in Space, No Place to Hide, didn't have Dr. Smith, but uh, executives wanted an antagonist, so they added him and started up the second pilot, which turned out for the better. Yeah, the first and only time network interference massively improved the show. Yeah. <laughs> That first one was so, I mean, so many panning shots of them driving places. God bless it. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Harris. So it was, was like a much slower speed racer. <laughs> yeah. The stuff in the pilot you guys watched at the Space Center, where there's all the guys sitting at desks with a lot of blinky lights, yeah. that was three times as long in the original pilot. Oof. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, everybody loves a good Mission Control Center shot. Oh. I mean, literally, there was there was at least five minutes of that before the president ever became came up to speak. Yeah, I think there's got to be a good 15 minutes before you see a Robinson. Right. Yeah. So uh, Jonathan Harris was the first actor to receive a special guest star status on a TV series on this show. And also Kurt Russell was a he was a guest star on later on. I think he was in the third season. There were a ton of guest stars. They oh. Yeah, especially but, in the second season when they decided it, they were going to try and make it like a comedy. Oh yeah, when they decided to go for Planet of the Week instead of drama and uh, whatever that first survival. Season. Yeah, like Gilligan's Island in space, where all these people you know manage to somehow find you in the middle of nowhere and then disappear by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Like my favorite, plot. my favorite uh, Gilligan's Island is is when the surfer shows up. Like what? <laughs> Surfed all the way to, to their island and then just surfs back. Okay. That's because that's how surfing works. Right? So, talking about Lost in Space, when you guys talk <laughs> no, about... I want to talk more about Gilligan's Island. Shut up. <laughs> Patrick had his childhood memories of Speed Racer, Mike had Voltron, and Speed Racer. Lost in Space was mine. Wow. This was, like, my big show, and I think a lot of it had to come down to... This was a show that, for years, it was on right after cartoons went off, so I only got to watch a full episode if uh, I was staying home from school for the day for some reason. Otherwise, I'd get to watch the first 10 minutes, and then we'd have to get in the car Ooh. and go to school. Oh. 
So like this thing was like built up and immediately captured my imagination because for years, five days a week, I'd get to watch 10 minutes of Lost in Space and wish I could finish it. All, all you ever got to see was them solving the cliffhanger. Yeah, but most of the time it would be them solving the cliffhanger. I'd get to watch like two minutes after that uh, intro. That bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop, bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, real quick in there. Uh, John Williams. Really? Yep. Yep. Wow. That's quite a pedigree. So, yeah, I feared rewatching this because I knew how big it was for my childhood. And? and it didn't hold up so great. It's it's a little dull. I mean, don't get me wrong. The robot and Dr. Smith are still as awesome as ever. And I was afraid Will Robinson was going to be more precocious and annoying than he was. But Yeah, I mean, Will Robinson, would. I, I liked him. Yeah, he's a likable child actor. And actually, I'd say that all three of the kids, even though... Uh, Judy was kind of just eye candy. Yeah. Like they were likable. Uh, I don't know. Penny gets a little annoying, but I, I'm kind I, of in I this. I'm, I'm not too far off from where you're at, Josh. This wasn't like a major part of my childhood, but I did watch this quite a bit when I was growing up. And uh, I was kind of wondering what it would be like since I haven't seen it. All I've seen since I was a kid was the movie that came out. Well, um, and I thought it kind of, I thought it was fun. I mean, it, there's parts of it where I was getting kind of cringy, especially with the, the dynamics of the men and the women and all of that. But it was a sixties. So got to cut it a little slack, but this, this was the first time I'd ever seen any of this. What? Really? Ever? Well, my, my family. Yeah. Ever. My family wow. was a star Trek family. So mm. lost in space. There was no room for lost in space. Yeah, my my my, uh, my my mother and my father have always been big Star Trek fans. So that and... would start a fight at the dinner table, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's how I could that's how I could have rebelled against them. It's like I want to watch Lost in Space, <laughs> but I didn't. I watched Star Trek. My, yeah, my dad was a big uh, Star Trek: The Original Series fan. My mom not so much, but Next Generation they both loved. Oh, so for good reason. What but... were your feelings on it then? Um, I think honestly, not having any kind of childhood fondness or memories of it actually helped because there was no, I had no preconceived notion. I, all I, I knew the plot and I knew the characters before I even, you know, watched the show just because it's, it's pop culture knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't know anything about, you know, I, other than the obvious, what you can glean from everything, you know, I didn't know it, never seen an episode and I didn't hate it. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it wasn't great by any stretch. It was definitely, it's definitely dated. It's definitely a lot of stuff from the sixties. And obviously the science is not very good, but I <laughs> mean, you know, yeah, right. But the, the acting is okay. I mean, and you know, and the, the plot lines are not horrible. I mean, I only watched like, I think six episodes. So um, yeah. I didn't watch any of the really crappy stuff from the second season that I've heard was just really bad. But like I watched um, one episode that was ranked like uh, 8.5 on IMDb from the third season called the antimatter man Ooh, i remember that one yeah and is that the uh, dr smith it's a wonderful life episode no 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 that's the one um that's the one where they uh the two evil um the evil doctor or the evil don west and the evil john robinson uh cross over mm. it's, it's a whole thing where they're like walk you know they're, they're walking in uh basically in purgatory on a little pathway and like you know find a doorway to another world and that's the world where the other guys live and they try to come and take over you know, their lives and kind of dark. Hmm? It's kind of dark. Yeah. Um, speaking of dark, uh, before I forget, I, I wrote this down in the first episode, uh, not the pilots, but the first episode that 
of the actual series. Dr. Smith karate chops the guard, <laughs> throws him down the garbage chute into the uh, dumpster, and they never resolve what happened to that guy. So is he in space with them? The guy in the dumpster? Yeah. No, no, no. That the guy he like maybe he lived out his life in a dumpster after he woke up. Uh, they that was before they took off. Yeah, right. well, definitely before they took off. But either he's in their the dumpster, in the or there's basically just a giant swinging trap door that leads to the outside. That's what I thought that was. I had that in yeah. my notes. Is there actually just like a, a trash chute in the side of this thing? But that it happened. Be. It happened the night before, and. So once he was down there, if he woke up, he would have told them that Dr. Smith knocked him the fuck out. So unless they have a rotting also, corpse. Why were there like little stowaway chairs even built into the thing? Is there a rotting corpse in the, uh, the, yeah. the bottom of the ship? Maybe. Um, I was wondering that too, Pat. <laughs> that chair that Dr. Smith was in? Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of weird. That was a little too convenient for him to be hanging out on. Right. So. And, 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 and then later they show that, oh, there's more than one of those chairs. But we're never going to use them when we're traveling through space. We're just going to stand for five and a half years frozen in these tubes with Which, no, no restraints, no support, nothing. We'll just stand like popsicles. With the magic of electronics, they're and going apparently, to. 1997 sucks with space travel because they made it eight hours before the whole thing went to hell. And it wasn't all entirely uh, Dr. Smith's fault. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. It was all Dr. Smith's okay. fault. A lot of it was his fault. No, his 200 pounds threw them off into the meteor storm. His programming of the robot. You know. Semantics. Okay. Yeah, the robot hit the uh, hyperspeed button, and well, since they were already pointed off course. But there's... still, eight hours, and they were that far gone, they couldn't get back. Well, they were going 140,000 miles an hour, or however fast they said they were going. But one of the there is an episode where Doctor Smith winds up in a it's a time turner episode. Uh, Doctor Smith winds up going back in time somehow back to Earth. Yeah, that's the it's a wonderful life episode I was talking. Yeah, about. and he he discovers that even if he hadn't uh, uh, messed with everything, they they were doomed to die anyway from a meteor strike. Yep. So, yeah, he, he gets the decision to go back and never sabotage their mission and gets to see what would have happened. And then he makes the sacrifice to make the same choices again to make sure everybody lives. Mm-hmm. It's actually one of the better episodes for his character development in the whole series. Oh, yeah. I tell you what, man, Don West is a lot more patient than I am because I swear to you, it would have only taken <laughs> maybe the third time that Dr. Smith did something stupid and I'd have been like, you're out the fucking airlock. <laughs> well, that's 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 where uh, um, uh, mom showed up. That's where they had June Lockhart. That was actually her role was to be the one who keeps Don West from killing him. Now, because yeah. she felt and, it was so terrible he, to leave him stranded. Kept me, I'll tell you that. Good thing for Doctor Smith that I wasn't Don West because fucking he'd have been in the space the minute anybody wasn't watching me. <laughs> that's, like, where's Doctor Smith? I don't know. I don't know. I think you play it cool when there's a beautiful 19-year-old blonde girl and you're the only person she's not related to aside from Dr. Smith on the boat. <laughs> yeah, it's which like, also... You want to look like the good guy. That's the other thing. Maybe she's into older guys. Maybe he's competition. Throw him out the airlock. <laughs> now, they're talking about sending other ships, so is there other people already at Alpha Centauri, or are they the first people? Because if they're colonizing, there's some math issues as far as populating a planet with only two people that aren't related. I don't think they're planning on populating it. They're supposed to get there, set up the colony, and prove that it's viable for humans to survive there. Yeah. Let's let's put it in, in. They're the ones going to the bowling alley first, Joel. Yeah. 
They are a collective canary into the mine shaft. Right, which is kind of terrifying also that there are so many families out of out of five million people, five million families, these are the ones that they chose. It's the best you could do. Well, I don't think it was the best they can do. I think it was one of those, we should probably get rid of these guys quick. Let's just send them first. We can, then we get on to the real stuff. <laughs> on, like, like Josh said earlier, on paper, they look great. Well, and let, for TV families, they look great. I mean, this was... Batman in 1960s was the world's greatest detective. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, if you could buy Adam West as Batman, you could buy this family as the savior of the human race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, compared to Adam West, these guys were rocket scientists. <laughs> so, but yeah, no. Uh, I, I only got maybe two, three episodes in. I think the problem was is that I started with the unaired, um, the unaired pilot. It's difficult to watch. And, you know, I, I was thinking, oh, crap, this is ruining my childhood. And then I, I looked up. I was like, okay, there's this pilot that I've actually never seen. And now I'm not – I guess I'm sort of glad I saw it eventually as a fan of the show. But it didn't have what I loved about the show. And once Dr. Smith and the robot were part of the series, yeah, it still didn't age well, but it didn't ruin memories of my childhood. This is not going to be a thumbs down because I had all these things expectations built up from when okay. i was a kid since you've seen all the episodes is there some kind of explanation as to how the robot's personality changed so much by the end of the series was there like a reprogramming or anything or because by, by, by the first two episodes he's just like a cold calculating blah, blah, blah. and then by the end he's like he's got emotions and fears and he's talking about you know oh i, I you know i'm scared i'm this i'm that i'm what you know I'm, I'm like what happened he's he's like a 1960s data yeah, I don't remember because I didn't watch the entire rewatch the entire series. And I, when I talk about my, my childhood, I'm talking about I was this was huge when I was eight. Uh, and I continued to like eight to twelve. This was my jam. But I mean, it was very a obvious long time that ago been, that he had been kind of rewritten to be comedic, you know, to be the the comedic uh, foil distraction, the, the Abbott to the Costello. Yeah, but I mean, it just it would go, going from like you know season one episode four all the way up to season three, you know, without any kind of transition, it was very jarring how much different the robot was. And it's definitely more gradual as they decide that what they want to do is they want to make this show about Will Robinson, the robot and Dr. Smith and everybody else is kind of there. I mean, they don't ignore them, but that's those three characters are what the show's about. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Have we uh, milked this robot uh, no, dry? I, I also uh, liked it, in the, it. I think it was the second episode where they come across the alien ship. Which, and, incidentally, those aliens were pretty simple, but they were pretty damn cool the way they sounded and stuff. Talking about the electron, the shock yeah. and everything. That, yeah. And yeah. I like I like how, you know, Dr. Smith comes up on Will, you know, discovering one of them. And he's all like, you know, we may need these people to figure out their guidance system. And Will's all like, all right, well, let me talk to him. And then, you know, and then the doctor is immediately like, no, I need to shoot it. Okay, let's talk Make about up your this. Mind, doctor, like, is, is this thing valuable, or do you want to kill it? Doctor Smith talking to Will Robinson. Oh, you, oh my gosh! Look at that virus that's on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. If if we had put you in the tube with that virus on the tip of your tongue, it would have taken over your whole body. Okay, if this kid is supposed to have graduated, I mean, what was a correspondence space college? <laughs> That was the stupidest thing, because at the end of it, you know, Bill, he's sticking out his tongue, trying to look at the tip of his tongue to see this virus that's apparently well, on I the... Mean, you can, you can, at that point, I think there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief, because he doesn't necessarily know what a piece of shit the doctor is by that point. 
And it's a doctor telling the kid, oh, you've got this sickness. But you can tell that he's got a little bit of doubt. I mean, that's why he's checking his tongue. He didn't just take him at face value. That's okay. why he didn't stay downstairs. Why is his first question not, what the hell, how the hell are you supposed to be able to see a virus on the tip of my tongue? At that age, a space college graduate should know that those are not visible by the naked eye. I just think that's bullshit. I think I get I, I think the it. average person in 1960 didn't know that you couldn't see a virus. They just knew viruses made you sick. Okay, I'll and buy the that. Doc- the doctors were pretty much always just, you know, above everyone. Doctors were much more revered back then before. Uh, doctors can see viruses. I was just going to say doctors were much more revered before the days of... Uh, of Misdiagnosis? Well, and I was going to say, uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Like um, Kevorkian. <laughs> you know, um, god damn it, you know, health insurance companies and stuff. I can't think of the word I'm trying to think of, though. Well, practice is what you're looking for. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think I'm going with Josh. The majority of people did not realize that, you know, virus. But it was kind of like, you know, back, yeah. back then, you know, airline pilots and doctors and all that kind of stuff, they were seen as more, uh, like, above everyone, you know, and you don't question them, that kind of Well, thing. yeah, he's in, a, he's in a plane. Yeah, there were questions, <laughs> and the reboot had to address them. And uh, I think we're probably getting pretty close to taking a break and then coming back and talking about how they did. Yeah, I think we are. Patrick, do you have anything? Uh, I was just going to say, like, I mean, according to the synopsis of the last episode, you know, the series ended without them ever getting back to Earth or getting to Alpha Centauri. The, so they just yep. remained lost in, st- in space. Yeah, they yes. were suddenly canceled. Yep. Very common with CBS. Uh, remember, that also happened with The Incredible Hulk. We had the cancellation of The Incredible Hulk and then didn't get a resolution to that till the, the trial of The Incredible Hulk years later. So they were, I guess they were kind of like, hey, we need something new. I, I wish I could remember how the walking away song goes. Yeah, I mean, Feels this so good. fell into the Feels classic so sci-fi, sci-fi series trap. I it am became, the Hulk. It became too expensive to produce, even though it was still a hit, because mm. they still had to do all the special effects, but now the actors were names, and their contracts came up, and they demanded more money. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, that that's still happening today. Yeah, yeah. And then Billy Moomy's like, hey, Space College ain't going to pay for itself, man. I got to get ready for... We already graduated, so he doesn't need to pay for it anymore. Well, I mean, he wants he's to go back and... He's got to pay his student loans, that's all. Yeah, he's got to get his doctorate, his space doctorate. <laughs> the hell am I talking about? Who's going to teach him? Space. The robot. The robot, yeah. Robot and Dr. Smith. And be like, hey, look at that. I, Did am, you see I am Professor Robot. And <laughs> Dr. Smith is like, I got your nose. <laughs> I like there, there's one point in one of the episodes too where you know, uh, Will Robinson is all like, like oh you know, that sound that sound and the robot's like cover your ears and then the robot just lifts his arms up to his like glass head like you don't have ears robot <laughs> he might he maybe Silly he's just... robot ears are for kids <laughs> all right yeah that's Mark in the break right there <laughs> all right when we come back we're gonna talk about Netflix's a 2018 fresh reboot of Lost in Space yes. Fresh is so fresh. Take us out, Dr. Joel. Na-na-na-na-na-na. What? That seems about right. All right, we are back, and we are talking about Lost in Space 2018. Wait, I thought it was... What, springtime? I, I, watched, I watched the movie. Well, I guess you I'm not so going to sorry. Not yeah, one <laughs> bad move and two, you're not going to be real helpful. 
I can't believe how bad that movie was compared. You know, when you look at the cast list, right? I mean, just such a star-studded cast. Yeah, on paper, yeah. Yeah, when Mimi Rogers is like your your number six credit, you know, pretty crazy that it could suck that bad. Yeah. But then again, you know, they tried to make Matt LeBlanc into a scientist pilot guy, and you can't go from Joey to that. So he never even went to space college. <laughs> he was good at space docking, though. And he was on the poop force. So. Okay, let's just move on to the <laughs> Netflix so, series. This is uh, I literally this, that this that came out like two weeks ago. Yeah, and I completely blanked Crash on the name of it. Thanks to you. All right, Lost, Lost in Space, space 2018. After crash landing on an alien planet, the Robinson family might fight against all odds to survive and escape, but they're surrounded by hidden dangers and also everybody else that was on that ship. Yeah. So I, I think that was a very strong choice. But we'll yes. get into that. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. So starring Molly Parker as Maureen oh. Robinson. I yeah, Maureen I Parker. love Molly Parker. Yes. What's not to love? She's awesome. Jackie Sharp from House of Cards is how I best remember her. Uh, yeah. I, I remember her most from Deadwood. Mm. I remember her most from the movie Kissed. And then she was also in 1922, another Netflix original. Oh. The okay. Stephen King story. Okay. And then uh, Toby Stevens as John Robinson uh, from... Die Another Day, 13 Hours, bunch of still staying in the genre that he is in, action action flicks. Maxwell Jenkins as Will Robinson. A surprisingly not very annoying. Yeah. Probably. Well, he's already got some acting experience under his belt. I mean, for as young as he is, he's already got eight credits, and this is like his third TV series. Yeah. Any relation to Leroy? Yes. I was impressed. They both yeah, like he's, chicken. He's a good actor. He really is. And then uh, there was one scene in particular. I can't remember what it was right now off the top of my head, but I was I was actually struck. I was like, Jesus, that was really good. <laughs> he uh, he he didn't. It was it was a scene that he had no words, no nothing. He just had to like emote with his face, and I was like, that was very impressive. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, Taylor. what Taylor Taylor Russell, known for Judy Robinson. This is her first acting foray. Yeah, and uh, this was an interesting choice. They have. Uh, Basically, Maureen has a kid from a previous marriage before getting together with John. Oh, wait. I take that back. This is not her first acting foray. This is her biggest one so far. She was in Falling Skies. Oh, yeah, she was, wasn't she? I thought I'd seen her before, but I didn't go to her IMDb page. Yeah. So, um, Mina... Is that the one with, with Noah Wildey? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I never saw I started that. watching that because it looked like something I dig, and I never got back to it. I heard it kind of fell apart pretty quick. Well, it takes place in St. Louis. So you got that. Um, lost, uh, Mina Sundwall as Penny Robinson, uh, known for Maggie's Plan and Hashtag Horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joel, I figured you would know that, Joel. So, mm-hmm. But um, then we got Ignacio Sorriccio. Saying that right? Ignacio Sorriccio, yeah. Yeah. Uh, nearly Departed. He was on Bones. Uh, he was in The Wedding Ringer and Young and the Restless. Uh, v- does voice in American Dad. Lots of TV. Um, yeah, he's playing our uh, very different take on Don West. Yeah. I like the take they did. Yes. He looks like the guy uh, that, that from the live-action Tick that played... Uh, oh, the guy who played Batman. Batman yeah, well. Bat- Batman well. Yeah, he kind of does. He had, and he also had a very a very decent character arc for the first ten episodes, between the first ten episodes. I haven't watched him yet, so don't spoil it. But not a complete character arc. I had planned on watching many episodes today, and today turned into a little bit of a clusterfuck. So, yeah. yeah. 
You saw a few of them, though, right? Yeah, I saw the first two. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's enough to talk about. Oh, it. Yeah, you need to watch the rest, though. It is definitely. Worth oh, I'm, it. I'm going to. I'm. I, you know, spoiler calm, alert. I'm hooked. Calm yeah. your jets, there, Joel. That's not... all right. So then we got Parker Posey. Oh, I love Parker Posey. Yes, very much. Blade. She Scream, can do. She can do just about anything. Superman. Comedy, drama, whatever. I mean, she's she's been in all the Christopher Guest movies. Yeah, she's been all over the place. And then finally, Brian Steele. You forgot to say who Parker Posey is playing, oh, which is Mr. kind of Do- a big yeah, deal. Sorry, Dr. Smith. Those two started running down the Parky Posey road. and Yeah, Dr. Smith, but not really. Yeah, do you guys notice who really was Dr. Smith, right? Billy yeah, Mo- that's Billy first Mummy. item of trivia. We'll get okay, there. We'll get right. there, man. Uh, Brian Steele as the robot. He's which dude. people are oddly sexually attracted to. Yeah, I saw that article, too. What? What? Yeah, yeah. There's this huge thing on Tumblr about people wanting to bang the robot. Ah, right. Tumblr. There you go. Between we that got and Thanos. people on this planet. Where's Thanos? He's also one of the ones that people are sexually attracted to. Are you kidding? Tumblr is the reason Thanos started. Anyway, he uh, is known for playing large guys in suits. Uh, he was Sharkmouth in Men in Black 2. Uh, he In Underworld, he was aware, one of the werewolves. In Hellboy, he was Samamel. So the, is that who David Byrne borrowed it from? What? Talking Heads Joe. Large suit. You are wow. good. Going, some days you're just on. This I is long, not one of those days. Yeah, I long for those days. Guess uh, say. God, man, a Talking Heads reference. Wow. <laughs> Let's go to trivia. All right, so trivia. Billy Mummy is the only actor who have, to appeared in the original TV series Lost in Space, where he played Will Robinson, and in the remake he plays, as listed, the real Dr. Smith. And I love that they don't really... Uh, make you wonder about that for very long. You know right away that Dr. Smith isn't Dr. Smith, and you've got someone who's got this mysterious past who is impersonating Dr. Smith to get onto the planet. Right. I, I like that. I can't wait to see how that plays out. And what's funny is she's not even impersonating Dr. Smith initially. She's well, wait for it, because Pat hasn't got that far yet. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean... Some of our yeah. listeners probably haven't either, so... True. Uh, the series shares theme music with both the original series and the 1998 movies. The series theme is most popular, however, is only used in the third season of the original series. The first two seasons of the original series had different theme song. Both theme songs were composed by John Williams, who also composed the music for Star Wars. And that's all I got. Literally, I mean, the the rest of this trivia is like, this show was filmed in a forest. Well, there was something interesting I noticed, is hmm. if there's anything to recommend, the original boring, unaired pilot is is that they decided to borrow the first conflict from that pilot where it, things are getting cold and they're going to freeze to death. I noticed that immediately. Is like that's the same thing that the Robinsons have to contend with in the unaired pilot and the same first thing they have to deal with in the show. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's very realistic because I mean if you think about it if if you go to a to a alien planet the very first thing you're going to have to deal with is the environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, I mean, odds are you're not going to land in the middle of a city and get attacked. You know, you're going <laughs> you're going to land somewhere where the environment, surviving the crash, and then the environment are the two things that are going to, you know, be your big concern. Yeah, and they, when updating the show, they had a bunch of concerns. Both logistical, people are just more well educated about space travel now. Uh, people have had decades of questioning logic in TV shows to let's close up some of those gaps. And like rubber suit monster of the week doesn't work anymore. So they definitely had to add more human characters so that you don't just shoot Dr. Smith in the head and all of a sudden there are no problems. (laughs) 
And I'm hoping, you know, as, as the the show goes on, as I watch, you know, that Doctor Smith is going to be much less uh, obvious in, oh, oh. in in the evil intent because that was one of the things that bugged me about the first show was like all it would take, you know, again talking about, you know, what I would have done, all it would take was like three, two or three of those smug grins, you know, that like, you know, I know I'm an asshole, but you can't do anything about it. No, you're this, you're out the airlock. This Doctor Smith, <laughs> without giving anything away, is is much much better at being manipulative and getting people to do what she wants them to do. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, was, also, that, yeah. there's also a much better reason for this Dr. Smith to be a villain than just this hand wavy uh, agent from another country who wanted to sabotage the ship. And then is just a dick hole the rest of the series. And he, you know, despite the fact he's never going to get paid, he continues to try to sabotage everything. Right. And right. Again, she has a very good character. arc. I mean, everybody in the series is incredibly well played. For a science fiction show about, you know, based on a show that was really cheesy and and fun, but, you know, just kind of popcorn, this is much, much more intelligent. And yeah. it's like my sister at one point when I told her what the topic was tonight, she was all like, oh, why would why would anybody remake that show? You know, it was so bad. I'm like, well, that's why, because, you know, it's a good concept, but you could make it very well, which mm. they did. They have done. Yeah, and it was interesting when this thing first dropped because if you Google Lost in Space, you get a bunch of reviews of people just shitting on it. Really? Like a bunch of think pieces from reviewers talking about how it's uninspired and the characters aren't interesting. But like a lot of my friends who are sci-fi geeks, at the same time I was seeing those reviews, I was seeing people saying, you know, I love this thing. So I was excited to do this show to get a, an excuse to see for myself. Right. Oh, that- Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, no, I was just agreeing with him because I've seen some, you know, I, before I started watching the Netflix one, I saw a lot of the same stuff. It was people crapping on it. Oh, you know, like you said, it's so by the numbers. It's so, it's a standard people who remember the old one, but didn't take the time to go back and watch it. (laughs) You know, it's. If you think about it, though, I mean, the fact that they're more almost like cookie cutter characters, but, you know, one of the things I like about this is they're. They're they're not two dimensional. That every every one of them has like you know a personality, a motivation, a backstory, all that stuff. But uh, like one of the things I like about it, you know, they want to complain like, oh, it's you know formulaic and cookie cutter in in, in like the characters. It's like, well, if you pick a bunch of families that are going to try to you know restart you know humanity somewhere else, you're gonna go with the ones that have the best you know resumes and chances and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. you're not gonna have you know like the shameless family up in space because they're just not going to pick them. Yeah. But I don't agree necessarily that these characters are cookie cutter. Cause this is a family where almost any pairing of two people in this family, there are issues to work through. Oh yeah. And one thing I think Pat may have even already heard, maybe not, it might be in the episode after where he's gotten to, but somebody says people think that they're running away into space, but uh, they're not leaving their problems behind. They bring all that shit with them. And, you know, what's interesting is when this first came out, I didn't see anything about it. And once we started uh, from friends, once we decided to do it, I started seeing these posts kind of start popping up where everybody that I know that are science fiction nerds are just absolutely loving it. Even uh, Slacker Jedi, who's, you know, my one of my cohorts at the Creeper cast, it, he said it's his probably his second favorite show ever. Um I mean, there's a lot of love out there for it. And the first thing that kind of drew me in after I watched the first episode was I realized that it was directed by Neil Marshall. He did the first two episodes. And I mentioned it in our chat, but he did uh, Doomsday and The Descent. 
and um, a movie called Centurion um, and Dog Soldiers. He's a pretty well-known um, horror director, but he does kind of sci-fi themed things too. And I, that right there gave me some more pedigree on top of the acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I firmly believe this is a really good time to be a sci-fi fan. Uh, this isn't, uh, I love it. It, it. This isn't my favorite sci-fi that's currently on, but that's just because we've got a wealth of incredible sci-fi to watch right let me, now. Let me guess, let me guess, uh, Expanse. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not well, even close. I was going to say Westworld. Uh, Westworld might be, oh, fighting with this for third place. Well, and Slacker said his top two favorite shows right now are Altered Carbon and this, and he said this is, better yeah. than altered carbon altered carbon would be my second place yeah with westworld and this fighting for third hmm. so but, if that tells you anything pat you've got a you've got a fun adventure ahead of you for what you haven't seen well, i gotta see those other two shows too then yeah you, you altered you carbon told me about expanse yeah altered carbon you, know, you need to you say guys talk about altered carbon yeah good stuff there um but lost in space yes i am liking how you're getting they're not just barfing all the issues that this family has out at once Right. You're getting little tidbits of everything, little bitty, little snippets of what happened on Earth before. You know, we know he was in the military. We know that the mother apparently uh, paid someone to hack her son's uh, scores to get him onto the onto the ship. Um, because he freezes up and did not pass the emotional test. Right. Which is a big well. plot point. Yeah, he did well on all the other tests, but yeah. Yeah. Wait, how far did you guys get, Josh and Mike? Uh, I'm on... Th- Five, I think. I, I binge watched a bunch and planned to do more today and didn't. I'm right. Just finished the lighthouse to say stuff that without giving hints. I mean, okay. I'm I'm glad that they they didn't. I mean, I I thought there was a I was a little worried watching the pilot. I was like, there's a little too much flashback going on here. But I understand understand it was kind of necessary to start telling the story. I'm oh yeah. Glad that they don't do it as much, you know, in the second episode. And I'm hoping they kind of stick with that. And you that's. Know, you, you can do a couple flashbacks an episode, but you know, a flashback every ten minutes is a little too much. Well, and it's not like that. The flashbacks that you get are very topical to what's happening, and they're very explan- they're expository to why people are reacting to each other now. Yeah, they want to say, okay, we've got these two siblings that have a complex relationship. Let's see where that came from before they got put into a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Right, but I mean, it's it. I mean, everybody knows it's a little bit of lazy storytelling to use flashbacks all the time to tell your story. But, I mean, they, they seem to have calmed down on it well, already. But they, they wanted to get into the core of the show before they – because they didn't want to have the first season be the backstory. Right. They, they'd rather build on it as it goes. And I'm I, – I, being the only one that's seen the entire run of the first season, I'm excited for you guys to get to the last episode because I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. At that point, um, the only thing I really have an issue with 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 the show is kind of where it throws back to the original series. Is there's a problem? We got to fix it. Oops, that didn't work. Okay, we got to do something different. We overcame that, and I'm hoping that over time, you know, they'll kind of throw that formula off. But this entire first run, there's a it's very consistent that that's kind of the formula of what happens. Well, this all, it's funny. We talk about lost in space, but with the flashbacks and the constant struggling against the environment disaster of the week, it's almost feels a little bit like lost in yeah. space <laughs> where you definitely have these characters that have their own mysteries and the planet has its mysteries and you got flashbacks. 
it does r- remind me a lot of the, the t- TV series Lost in some ways. I can't wait for the first polar bear to show up. <laughs> Smoke monster. <laughs> ben Linus shows up, shoot him. <laughs> well, and give I got to give a lot of credit to Netflix for poning up the dough to make it not only a, a well cast and well written, but it's really pretty to watch. Like the special effects, the scenery. The set design, the the costuming choices, everything is really, really intelligent and well done. Yeah. I mean, it's not half-assed in any it way, shape, or form. It makes me wonder in 20 years, you know, what this is going to look like to those people. Like, is it yeah. going to look like the original Lost of Space to them? <laughs> like, like, they thought this was space travel or whatever. <laughs> I'm sure there are things that are common to this era of television, the way we're already seeing early 2000s over-explaining everything. Like, we got to show you where Conan's sword came from. Here's 20 minutes on that. (laughs) There's probably stuff like that that we're a little too close to to see that are going to be 2015 to 2020 kind of movie tropes that we'll be able to recognize in 10 years. And we just don't know it because we're in the middle of them. Right. Right. But for what it is right now, I'm thoroughly impressed with the quality and uh, everything that they did to separate it from the original make it its own thing, but yet still have the core concept. Now let's talk about the robot, shall we? Oh my God, I love the robot. <laughs> so far. I think everybody loves the robot. <laughs> some people want to love the robot. Yeah, some people <laughs> love the robot a little too much, apparently. I mean, you've got w- another thing that is a nice, uh, and they hit you with this right away, is that the robot is responsible in some way for them crashing. I don't want to give too much away because of where Pat's at, but that's true. That's already been shown. I I thought that was like first episode. Wait, first and second. They, they, they pretty much make it clear where you guys are at though. Mike and Josh, have you found out why yet? Uh, I don't know about why I know. I know what happened. I don't know why. Yeah. I I think I'm right where Mike is. And I, I th- but I do think it's cool. That's also a th- reach back to the 1960s because the robot is instrumental to them crashing as well. Yeah, and I think I think it. You kind of need to have a, those throwbacks once in a while to the plot points from the from the old show because otherwise it's just going to be you know another a, show in another space. show. Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be lost literally lost in space um, versus the remake of Lost in Space. You have to have those kind of throwbacks in these. In, in this, otherwise it loses the, I don't say the charm of it, but you lose that, oh, I can't wait, I know this happened in the show before, I can't wait to see how they're going to handle this. Like, we know the robot caused the crash in the original show, how did it happen in this one? This one, it's a little bit more violent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the robot is way more HR Geiger. Oh, yeah. Like, he starts out with, like, four legs on each leg thing and a very insectile hunchbacky and then remakes himself in Will Robinson's image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you'll get a theoretical explanation of what happened that makes sense later on. But even then, it's a little vague. Okay. Um, but going to trust you on this. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it sounds it. like they've got this where you can enjoy the first season, but everyone's really hoping for a second. I don't know if it ends on a cliffhanger, and I don't want to know. Right. And that's why I'm I'm, I'm... I'm definitely all in on it. I, I enjoy it, and I plan on watching it. That's why I'm anxious for you to get to episode 10 to find out what you guys think about how they left it. All right. What are my first... Without giving anything away. Yeah, so one of my first notes on this was, this is the space adventures of the unluckiest family in the galaxy. <laughs> Because they crash, 
It sinks in the under the water. Daughter tries to get the battery. She freezes in the water. They go to get the get the um, what in that tungsten? What do they get? Magnesium. Magnesium to burn them out. Kid falls in a hole. Kid stays in the forest. Forest catches on fire. Um, it's like they just can't cut in the first episode. They just cannot cut a break. Maybe yeah. they're the reason why the place was attacked in the first place. <laughs> if they uh, had been on board, maybe everything would have been fine. I they're the like... Angela Lansbury and Murder, She Wrote of Space. They're yeah. like, we got to take this one family out, and everyone else will be cool. <laughs> and that's the theme that I'm talking about. It just kind of – and it's pretty clear in the first few episodes. It's got that formulaic thing to it, but it works. Even though it's it's kind of it, – you wonder what real danger they're in. It, it definitely it still works. Well, and sometimes it's space travel, especially unplanned colonization of someplace you're not supposed to be, is dangerous. And some of it is when people aren't quite getting along and make bad decisions, they can make a dire situation worse. I mean, mm-hmm. that first reason Judy jumps off to try and be the hero in that first episode because she's struggling against her stepdad. Right. And, and if, she doesn't want Will to have to go down there. Right. right. Yeah, she knows so there's Will a, freezes up. All these up. complicated emotions contributing to a very bad decision. Which makes me wonder, I mean, is uh, uh, Maureen the only one that knows that that uh, he didn't actually pass his tests? I believe so. I think so. Maybe Joel knows. If you do know, I don't know, tell but us. I'm not saying anything. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if, Judy, like, if Judy knew, then she's all like, well, you know, for sure he can't go down there, so... Well, but it, even if he didn't pass that part of the test, he's still the above average intelligence and very resourceful. Yeah, he's not looking for viruses on his tongue. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and apparently, like, they address the guns are too powerful by saying, you know, guns are really powerful. Aside from the soldier, we really don't believe in them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that really kind of sucked when he goes to print. Well, I, I do like the idea of them going to the 3D printer and printing out everything they need. Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the, it, you would like to print a gun. Call this number to get approval. And he's just like, <laughs> son of a. You know, and it I'm, is interesting that, that guns really aren't a part of this series, which I thought was an, an interesting touch. Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we can't really delve too much into that because Pat's not there yet. Right. But, but uh, suffice yeah. it to say, I mean, this wasn't supposed to be a military uh, mission. It's a colonist mission. And the fact that uh, John has a military background is a source of stress. Mm-hmm. And uh, firearms are going to represent that part of his life that took him away from his family. So well, like, there's a good reason. And they didn't plan on any of this happening when they, you know, budgeted for the mission. So as far as they're concerned, it's get on the ship. They have security on the um, the ship. I can't think of what it's called now. All of a sudden, the resolute. The, ex- the resolute. Oh no, the resolute. Right. They've what? got their 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 force there. There's not really a, a, a system of justice necessarily, but they've got people that are there to protect them. But the colonists themselves, their their job is to get to Alpha Centauri and start doing what they're supposed to do. So um, it, it's, it's definitely a difference from the original series where they come ready to full, full bore with all kinds of laser rifles. And things. Well, also the timetable of the people left behind on earth is much more dire, at least where I am in the series where it's not necessarily a given that everybody left behind is definitely going to die. It seems like, 
there's a pretty good chance that this mission is survival of the species kind of mission where the original, they're like, yeah, things are getting bad here, but we're going to start expanding out. So everything will be okay in a hundred years. Mm-hmm. This it felt to me like we're not sure everybody on earth is going to die. This is our hail Mary, but this is our hail Mary just in case. I like the fact that they named the, um, the, the uh, satellite, the resolute there's, do you know the history of that name? No. I guess we'll find not. out in the oh, show. Okay. okay. Do, do they tell you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, oh, then, then we'll just wait. Well, I mean, they, there's there's some exposition on it. I don't know if it matches what you were about to say. Well, but. it's a it was a, well, and just historical, it was a um, uh, British whaling ship that had been fitted to uh, explore the Arctic, and it got trapped in the ice and was recovered by the uh, United States, which then brought it back to the Great Britain. Uh, after they had discovered it and they, and they saved it, and then they took the planks, the wood from the Resolute, and made the desk that currently sits in the uh, Oval Office right now. Uh, you know what? I okay. I was wondering why it sounded familiar to me. Yeah, the Resolute desk. So. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I just like the fact that they made that connection to a, a ex- exploratory ship that had gotten trapped and uh, trapped in the Arctic and basically trapped in the last edge of humanity that they knew at the time. How many? Is there, there are two or three resolute desks? I think there's. Uh, two. There's, I think there's there's two of them. There's one in the uh, in the palace in Great Britain, and there's one in the Oval Office. Cool. Yeah. I knew I, I knew I would recognize it as soon as you said it, but yeah. It didn't go to space though. No. Well, you don't know that yet. Maybe second season. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not right. going yet. Things could happen. Putting things in the story maybe, that aren't there. Able to be part of the space force. Yeah. Did anybody else have? Oh, I'm trying to think where Pat's at. Um, get a chill. I literally got chills when the robot said the line for the first time. Oh, yeah, the first thing he said. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't remember if it happened in the second episode or not. But that was after, the first episode. It was, it, it was how the episode ended almost. Oh, yeah. okay. I just remember when he said it, I was, I literally was like, oh, my gosh. I got, like, chills. It was but, I mean, I, that, was, that actually, I didn't. I, I kind of didn't like that because I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was a little, a little too much like the, the um, I mean, not as bad, but, you know, similar to the way the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did it in their remake, where it just felt like, you know, you're just kind of shoehorning it in there. And like, I don't know. I mean, it, I would have been a little better with it if, if the robot then eventually did start talking. But like, if that's literally the only thing it's going to say in the first two episodes at all, it seems a little too, a uh, little too much of a blatant meta. nod. Yeah. Too, me- too meta, too on the nose, whatever, you know. Hmm. Well, I mean, you know it's going to come eventually, but for it to be the very first thing and only thing it says for, you know, I was like, nah, nah, nah. Well, I thought it could have been better done. Nah, I disagree. <laughs> well, you're wrong. I don't know. So there yeah. you go. You're nah. shut up. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I liked it, but I just thought it could have been better. Could have been done better. There's I, a lot more to come. I think I know why you're why you don't like that. Why is it? Because there's no explanation on how he suddenly started talking. Exactly, and and like you know, if, if he can speak that sentence, then why isn't he speaking anything else? Right. You know why? And why is it just how, that? How did he so quickly know that 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 one? You know that what? I mean, he hadn't heard the word danger yet out of Will's mouth, so I don't know. I can I can definitely a hundred percent say okay, he's got some kind of adaptive learning AI where he can like listen to people talk and big like like you know a, a more technological version of the you know the scene in Thirteenth Warrior where he just listens to him talking and figures out the language. And he could do that ultra fast. But I'm like, if you've already figured it out enough to put together, you know, 
a, a three word sentence that communicates, you know, a, a much bigger intent, then you should be able to just already speak at that point. I don't know. I mean, I think he's prioritizing what things he wants to be able to put into being understood. And he's repeating the name to identify the person who he's bonded to. And the big word is danger. Mm-hmm. Maybe he should know a few more words, but him being a computer, being able to choose one, that seems like a pretty good one for a protector. So yeah. there, Pat. Well, agree to disagree. <laughs> when in Rome and such. <laughs> I was going to say when in Rome. That's not what that means. <laughs> agree to disagree. Then. All right. So you think we may do. I'm, I'm not. I'm pretty sure we're not going to have any surprises on the thumbs up, thumbs down thing on this one. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying hard not to say too much. So. Well, you can tell us you like it, Joel. That's not a secret. I know. I'm yeah, he's going to spend 20 minutes telling us whether it's thumbs up or thumbs down and inadvertently give away the last three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thumbs up until everybody died in the last episode. We Wait, find no. out in episode nine that the robot is Optimus Prime. Robinsons <laughs> <our>, roll out. <laughs> exactly. That's our Joel. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Uh, so I'm assuming we all have... Let's say for this one, though, we all got thumbs up for the new series. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, enthusiastic yeah. thumbs up. Definitely going to finish it. Yeah. Um, and Josh, you are right. It is a good time to be a sci fi fan right now because I, w- I was a little worried during the first episode. But by the second episode, I'm, I'm, I'm sold. Yeah. And it I, just gets better. I, I was kind of worried oh. because honestly, I was kind of worried because the, the family, I it wasn't until episode end of episode two, beginning of episode three that I actually started liking them. They that just, gets better. Yeah. So now here's a question. Yeah. Th- this is what I want to hear. The then. Uh, Pat. Come back to me. Come back to you. That's <laughs> okay. Well, I'll go then. Um, you know, as cheesy as it is, as, as many problems as I have with the original series, it's still a damn fun watch and it takes me back to being a kid. So it's, it's a thumbs up. Yeah, my memories of the show have been battered and bruised, but not destroyed, mostly based on the strength of Dr. Smith. This is still a thumbs up from me. Yeah, I I hate I don't say I hate to say it, but I'm giving it a thumbs up, too, because Josh and Joel at that same thing. I remember loving sitting down and watching it when it was a monster of the week, the planet of the week type of thing. And if they've got a little bit of that, uh, you know, they had to get over that, I guess we don't know what science is first season slump. Um, and then they got it. It's fun. It's goofy fun. If you take it for what it is, it is a fun, goofy show before we even knew what space travel was like. So okay. I think I have to give this, uh, uh-huh. my most uh-huh. subjective thumbs up ever. Oh, because I think if I were to watch more episodes, it would probably turn into a thumbs down. So it's only a thumbs up because I only watched like, I, what did I watch? I watched the first three and then I watched five episodes. Okay. I think if I watched all of them, I would give it a definite thumbs down just based on what I've read about the episodes, what I saw in the synopsis, all that kind of stuff. You know, so I just, I, th- I think with the limited viewership that I have on it, it's going to be a thumbs up, but all it's right. not a very strong thumbs up. And if I were to watch more <laughs> of the episodes, I'm almost a hundred percent. It would probably be a thumbs down. Okay. I'll buy it. I'll take it. I mean, I watched the, the highest rated episode that the show had, and I was still kind of like, this is not really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're Pat. So, but I still give it a thumbs up, just not a, yeah, not I'm a very surprised. fantastic one. I'm surprised he gave it a thumbs up at all, considering how much he trashed original Doctor Who, 
and that I'm a fan of the show and I fell asleep while watching one of the episodes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's only a thumbs up because it gave us this show that we're watching now, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. So, Joel. Yeah. What are we doing next week? <laughs> what I thought we were doing this week. Spring. Yeah, we're going to talk about the season. We have we have we have we done this we is the summer final? and winter already. Summer winter, yeah. yeah. So we have a uh, spring and autumn that we have to finish off for this year, and uh, this next week is spring. You know what? What did spring look like to us? What do we do? Was there stuff that happened in spring? Spring cleaning, spring chicken, spring <laughs> break, break spring forward. Yes. Ah. So yeah, if you want to give us your spring feelings or uh tell us that we've been pronouncing billy mummy's name wrong this entire time uh, you can let us know by giving us a call at 708 now rap that's 708-669-9727 yeah. if you're looking for our older stuff it's uh itunes blueberry stitcher talk show podverse fm noonfm.com and our home on the web fortigo14.com and give us a call if... <laughs> yeah i've been good i've been good i've been coherent <laughs> I wonder if the robot was at the first nativity, if he'd be like, Manger, Will Robinson. Manger. Dude. Oh, my God. What's going on with you tonight? I mean, usually when you're good, you're all right. But when you're bad, it's better. <laughs> Damn. <sighs> That's it. I'll be out of the fucking airlock with you. I'll be in the dumpster and underneath the shit. <laughs> <laughs> So when do you start your new mattress life?